Dive into the latest scoop with Vet Candy Journal Club. Keeping up with the latest vet journals just got way cooler with us. This episode is powered by Vet Candy's Master Course in Urgent Care, a free, race-approved CE course for vets and vet techs. Thanks to Coveteris, you're about to level up big time. Find it on myvetcandy.com. Check out these three hot takes from the latest peer-reviewed vet journal articles. Stay sharp, stay informed. Kicking things off with a deep dive into the feasibility of in-home electroencephalographic and actigraphy recordings in dogs from Frontiers in Veterinary Science. Shout out to Emily Folkert for lead author on this one. Idiopathic epilepsy, a common neurological condition in dogs, often leads to perplexing behaviors like aggression, anxiety, and fear. These behaviors, which can occur before, after, or between seizures, or even as part of the seizure itself, have long baffled both veterinarians and dog owners. The complexity of these behaviors and the lack of solid research tools have made it incredibly challenging to pinpoint their exact causes. This not only affects the dogs, but also takes a significant toll on the quality of life of their caregivers. In a groundbreaking pilot study, researchers from the University of Guelph sought to assess the effectiveness of a novel combination of technology in classifying canine behavior and detecting epileptic seizures. This innovative approach involved a mix of electroencephalography, e.g., hactigraphy, and detailed questionnaires. The study was conducted in the dog's home environment to ensure the most natural and accurate results. The study included 10 dogs from the community, each equipped with wireless video EEG and actigraphy devices. These devices recorded data for up to 48 hours in the comfort of their own homes. During this period, caregivers filled out three comprehensive questionnaires, which covered up to 137 questions about their dogs' daily behaviors and routines. Of the 10 dogs involved, six successfully completed the combined EEG and actigraphy recordings for at least 24 hours. This promising outcome demonstrates the feasibility of using such advanced technology in a home setting with community-owned dogs. The success of this pilot study lays the groundwork for future, more extensive research, opening up new possibilities in understanding and managing epilepsy in our canine companions. This study marks a significant step forward in the journey to unravel the complex relationship between epilepsy and behavior in dogs, offering hope for better management and improved quality of life for both dogs and their caregivers. Up next, we're diving into risk factors for tick attachment in companion animals in Great Britain, the spatial temporal analysis covering 2014 to 2021 from Parasites and Vectors Journal. Kudos to Ilina Arsevska for spearheading this study. Let's explore what this means for our clients and how to keep them safe from those pesky ticks. A comprehensive study, utilizing over 7 million electronic health records from cats and dogs, has shed new light on the factors influencing tick attachment in pets. Conducted by the Small Animal Veterinary Surveillance Network in Great Britain, this research offers valuable insights for pet owners and veterinarians on how to better protect our free friends from these pesky parasites. By mining data for mentions of ticks and overlaying this data with a variety of climatic, environmental, and host distribution factors, researchers have developed a detailed spatial temporal model. This model not only predicts the probability of tick attachment across Great Britain, but also identifies the individual characteristics that make some pets more susceptible to ticks. Despite ticks being mentioned in only 0.16% of electronic health records, Suggesting an underestimation of the risk, the study uncovered several significant risk factors like young adult ages, longer coat lengths, cross breeds, and unclassified breeds in both cats and dogs show increased odds of tick attachment. In cats, males, and non-neutered animals are particularly vulnerable. The primary factors affecting tick presence are climate-related, particularly precipitation and temperature, as well as vegetation type. Forests and grassland areas across Great Britain, especially in June, emerged as prime tick attachment zones. This extensive research enables the development of targeted health messages and tailored prophylactic measures to mitigate the risk of tick attachment. 
By pinpointing high-risk animals, seasons, and areas, pet owners and vets can adopt more effective strategies to reduce the tick burden and prevent tick-borne diseases in both pits and humans. The researchers' role in this study highlights how sentinel networks can serve as novel data sources to enhance our understanding of tick attachment risks. These findings not only benefit companion animals but also act as a proxy for human risk, underscoring the importance of such research in public health. Last but not least, we're checking out spontaneous remission and relapse of diabetes mellitus in a male dog from the Journal of Veterinary Internal Medicine. Big props to lead author, Mariola B. Rack, from the University of Tennessee, for this intriguing research. This one's all about a dog's roller coaster journey with diabetes. A real medical roller coaster. Let's see what lessons we can learn. In a remarkable medical case, an eight year old male neutered miniature schnauzer defied the odds by achieving diabetic remission, an extremely rare occurrence in dogs. This exceptional story unfolds after the dog was diagnosed with diabetes mellitus following classic symptoms of increased thirst and urination. The diagnosis was made based on elevated blood sugar levels and the presence of glucose in the urine, in accordance with the standards set by the agreeing language in veterinary endocrinology. The schnauzer was put on a regimen of insulin injections and specialized dietary management. Over the next year, the insulin dose was gradually reduced, with constant monitoring of blood glucose levels. Surprisingly, the dog reached a state of euglycemia and even hypoglycemia. The real twist in the tale came when insulin therapy was completely stopped and the dog remained symptom-free for an entire year. This period of remission is particularly noteworthy given that diabetic remission is a common phenomenon in cats and humans but is exceedingly rare in dogs. Typically, remission in dogs is associated with specific conditions like diestrus or pregnancy. Unfortunately, after a year of remission, the dog's diabetes symptoms reemerged, necessitating the resumption of insulin therapy for the rest of its life. Despite this, the case stands as a testament to the possibility of diabetic remission in dogs, challenging the prevailing understanding of the disease's progression in canine patients. And that's a wrap for this week's Vet Candy Journal Club. Craving the full details from these journal articles? Swing by MyVetCandy.com or check out the show notes for a link to the full articles. Love what you heard? Don't forget to hit that subscribe button to stay on top of the latest vet clinical briefings. Your support means everything to us. Big thanks for tuning in.